You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 104. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. Uh, as usual, for our news update, uh, Aaron is joining me today. How you doing, Aaron? Good. It's been too long. It's been way too long. I remember. Well, I think this is the first time that we're talking this year. Was this was the last time we spoke before the new year? I, I think we we spoke behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. uh, about episode one hundred, but I, I haven't been on since before then. Always been uh, always uh, planning new uh, great episodes for the local maximum behind the scenes. Uh, a lot has happened on the show since you last checked in. Uh, we did. I, I had a couple of pretty interesting interviews. One with Anthony Samaroff, who was talking about, um, you know, AI and robotics taking jobs or or not taking your jobs. Essentially, the hysteria around that. Uh, I checked in with Dave Rubin on his new platform for uh, for essentially you know creators getting in contact with their. Uh, you know, with their fans online and essentially building, you know, a, a new forum for people, unlike, you know, sort of as a replacement for Facebook and Twitter, at least for those, and Patreon, at least for those particular uh, use cases. Um, and then I did a math episode, which I'm always very proud of. So uh, I uh, I really enjoyed doing those. Aaron, did you have a chance to check any of those out? I did. Yeah, you, you covered a lot of ground. Uh, and, and, uh, while while I haven't had a chance to listen to the actual uh, recording from the Soho Forum for uh, for Anthony Samarov's uh, was it was it an Oxford style debate? Yeah, I um, think that's just means so that's always weird when I go there because what what that means is you vote beforehand and then you vote afterwards and they see who changed their mind. So you could like unfairly um, affect the result if you lie about your initial stance but you know i i suppose you could strategically vote but that goes against the spirit of the uh yeah of the exercise so for anthony there was nothing i could do to help him out because i voted for him initially and then i voted for him at the end but there was no in fact uh you know I, and this has happened to me if my mind has changed then i could really hurt the uh the person that you voted for initially <laughs> yeah i guess it's 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 a system dependent on uh honest feedback and i got a lot of really good feedback on uh uh, speaking of feedback on uh, the Dave Rubin episode, that's probably the biggest guest I've ever had on the show, and um, that was a really tight episode. I I don't know if you could tell. It's like if you go on with a professional podcaster, you know, we really did that like half hour episode, and it was very it was very clean and uh, and and you know it was cool for me to do it because I am very good at asking questions to kind of tech entrepreneurs and people building products and things like that. And so that must be kind of a new take for um, someone like Dave Rubin, who is used to talking, you know, what, whether it's in the political realm or in the, or to like uh, academics who have, who, who've written books or, you know, authors and things like that. Well, I, I, I've heard I've heard of him. Uh, I don't follow him closely, but how frequently does he put out his show or his podcast? Is that a daily thing or it's or not does he daily? Have weekly? No, it's okay. I think it's weekly. It's at least weekly. Okay, so he's streamlined, but he but he's not so streamlined that he's you know Tom Wood style knocking these off. Uh, you know, 
one a day or or multiple in a day and yeah but they're so they're more uh in depth and they they're usually um they're usually bigger guests um in the sense gotcha. that you know they're not um <laughs> it's not like this show where I'll have pretty much anyone on <laughs> but <laughs> but uh um uh yeah uh so one day and so I don't want to bear too much on the logical um induction stuff but uh one day maybe we should go over there that as uh, a co-hosted show because a lot of the time i describe these things and maybe it'll be helpful to have a co-host there uh to keep me honest as i start to go through some of some of those concepts that might be a fun one to do yeah i, th- I think uh we had a, a a brief discussion after that episode was released and it reminded me of back in our our I guess it would be middle school days when we were learning formal two-column proofs, and and without the visual aid of that that uh, that format, uh, I was I was starting to lose the thread as as you got into some of the more complex stuff there. Yeah, but, yeah, it's always hard to do the, it on audio. The initial the initial uh, principles I was I was pretty good with, but by the end of the episode, I I like I said I I'd kind of lost the thread of of where we could be going with that. So all right, there's. Definitely stuff to be revisited there. All right, but I highly encourage everybody to listen to those last three episodes. Uh, I think that was a very strong start for the new decade. And um, now uh, let's get into some of the news stories. I want to start off with one that uh, I want to go over quickly. And, you know, today's theme is kind of um, (laughs) is another big data encryption one. As I was saying to you before, uh, some of this is not going to be a very happy episode. Uh, But uh, let's start with the first news story. This was... uh, In a coronavirus response, AI is becoming a useful tool in a global outbreak, data experts say. And I was able to peruse some of the articles. This is from uh, Stats News, um, which I got through the Artificially Intelligent Podcast uh, newsletter, which is very useful. Uh, They were using uh, search and social media post data. So this is just publicly available data online. So it's interesting when you talk about needing people's private data to run, uh, you know, to run machine learning algorithms, to run AI, to, you know, run AI or run big data analysis. This is just using kind of public data, which I find really interesting. That sort of data wasn't available during the SARS outbreak in 2003. And they're able to track probably more accurately than other authorities can, you know, where the virus is likely spreading, how extensive it is, and how many, you know, and uh, and, and sort of where and how it's spreading, which I find uh, really interesting, but also, uh, you know, it's a really useful tool as, as people try to uh, contain the spread of this virus. Yeah, it's, I'd be curious... Uh to see kind of a, a a mapping side by side of our the improvements uh, between that, between the 2003 SARS outbreak and now in terms of what uh, data science and tracking uh, have have allowed us to do in terms of of uh, you know locating patient zero and and monitoring oh, yeah. the spread and well, getting look- a fast turnaround versus the increased rate at which we've that that people are traveling and and the spread has has our ability to use technology to to track it and to potentially intervene uh been growing at a faster or slower rate than the uh the the rapidity with which these spread uh, and i i guess that would not just be taking into account uh our behaviors but also the evolution of of the virus itself 
one uh, of the interesting things is a faster or slower uh strain than than that last serious uh, scare as i think back to 2003 and this is people think the world is crazy now but um you know <laughs> this, this was not the the uh, uh, a a viral outbreak uh, was not the scariest thing happening in 2003. And it, I guess you could say it's not the scariest thing happening in 2020. There was almost World War III, if you remember that happened. That that story is uh, feels like a million years ago, but uh, <laughs> that kind of backed up. But in 2003, it also it felt like World War III was around the corner. We had all those uh, you know people set it, sending – what was that white powder uh, that people were sending? Anthrax? The, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone was getting anthrax in the mail. Um, war starting all over the place, and I guess you had that SARS outbreak. But look, in 2003, the difference is, think about it, there was no, there was Google, but I don't think all of these search and, and posting technology, like, there weren't so many people posting uh, their personal stuff all over, you know, Twitter and Facebook and everything. There, right, there was Google, this, but Google did not... That would not, have been pre-Facebook. Yeah. It would have been pre-smartphone. Pre-Twitter. And Google did not have the kind of data set to... Uh, aggregate their search data back then either, uh, which has been uh, a huge boon to kind of data science studies. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a different world, and and it's it feels like we travel with a lot more ease and 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 freedom now than we did then. But there hasn't been, I I can't think of of a single major you know transportation innovation between then and now that would have dramatically changed that internet on Um, the planes sometimes when it works right but that's that's not going to make it that 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 would have no influence on the speed with which the virus is gonna (laughs) yeah no gonna gonna disperse yeah uh no i i don't know if yeah i don't i don't know if that's a factor uh probably not although people look (laughs) china is way richer than it was in 2003 and 2000 uh and the the difference in China must be far greater than the difference here in the United States or here in the West. Uh, so I would imagine there's a lot more people in China that have the means to travel now than did 20 years ago. Well, that that may be true. That yeah, there's there's a lot more internal movement there, uh, and and so that uh, that may be part of what allowed it to kind of get out of control out of that single province uh, in a way that it wouldn't have a decade or. Two decades ago. So did you know this? The city of Wuhan, did, did you hear of the city of Wuhan? Have you heard of it before the outbreak of, of um, be honest, have you heard of the city of Wuhan before the coronavirus outbreak? No, nothing that sticks in my mind. It may have been something I've heard, but I, I would have substituted it with generic Asian city in my brain. Same here. Same here. The city. Uh, p- partially because I never know how to pronounce uh, the, the names of Chinese cities because of the way that they're what is it is it called transliteration yeah i mean they look they convert into english characters i'm sure i could name five or six chinese cities but wuhan wouldn't have been at the top of my list but no it's it's not high up there. but listen and and it is indeed a city not a province correct it's a city but this 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 will blow your mind it's larger in population than new york city Uh, that that doesn't surprise me only because i'm i'm sure that there are dozens if not more cities in china that you could say that about that no one's heard of it's yeah it's crazy how high the population is over there well they they've got uh, a billion plus people they got to put them somewhere <laughs> yeah, yeah that's true um okay so uh the next article that we want to go on if we're uh, i mean we could do more about this virus but i'm not um 
an expert on it, and we'll, we have other depressing stories to tell. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no. Okay, so Gizmodo has this article about self-driving cars, and it says, your next car will be watching you more than it's watching the road. And so you sent me that article. That was an interesting one. And uh, <laughs> what I got out of it was the, the attitude of the article was, hey, understanding what's going on outside the car, that's too hard of a problem. You know, there's all these animals and pedestrians and, and different kinds of roads. We don't, in conditions, we don't know what's going on. But you know what? All of this research and development was not done needlessly. We are going to point the cameras <laughs> and the tech inside to you, the driver and the passenger, mostly to make sure that you don't do anything dumb. Isn't that great? I. They, they kind of have a point there because uh, there's only so much you can do to control for the other idiots on the road. But the idiot inside your own car, there's a lot they can do to control for that. Hmm. So I don't I don't drive. And, and, and actually, some of these systems are, are in place already. Uh, I know when I was I, I recently purchased a vehicle and I, I didn't end up with a with this system in my car. But one of the systems that I was reading about uh, it, it has cameras that are watching the driver and looking for signs of of drowsiness and distractedness and if it thinks that your your attentiveness to the road is waning it does some sort of of alert to to refocus you and they probably can can more efficiently and more effectively uh you know reduce accidents with that approach uh than than like i said trying to worry about the other unpredictable cars on the road around you See, I, I don't drive very much. I'm very grateful for some of the safety features when I do drive because I'm not a very experienced driver. So it helps me stay within the lines and, um, it, you know, it, it tells me when the seatbelt is off. But I definitely notice there are times when they overdo it and it actually makes things more dangerous, like when things are beeping and buzzing and you can't really tell why. And also the terrible user interface on the GPS device and the phone bluetooth hookups i mean this could just be because i'm using crappy cars with a zip car yeah but, uh, the, so 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 two things on that one yeah. uh the the built-in interfaces tend to be pretty lackluster um and and that's an area where uh android auto and and apple what is it apple carplay there's apple carplay uh, yeah the, the those two interfaces are far and away the leaders because as as long as as the manufacturer complies to whatever standard they they uh, set for 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 compatibility. It's going to be better than the built-in system that that the manufacturer provides. Yeah, but think of um, how dangerous that is when that's not working. When someone's trying to get that working and that's not working. I know you're supposed to pull over and figure it out, but there's going to be a lot of people who don't. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and the the, the or they the think it's going to be easy, so they're like, is, you can get in, in trouble really easy because you think it's going to be easy. You think you're going to put something you're going to you really want to watch the local listen to the local maximum you're going to put it on your car you're going to click it it's going to happen in five seconds but then it's like difficult and you have to touch all those things and pretty before you know it your eyes are off the road don't do that folks yeah well and, and that's that's another place where where the voice interface for some of those things is, is it's getting better and better to minimize the amount of actual uh touchscreen interface you need to have yeah but uh, it's it's going it's slow going but but the the other thing you mentioned was all the the buzzes and beeps and everything that the the default settings for a lot of these are suboptimal uh and and it has the same problem that we do with your facebook privacy settings that 90 something percent of people are never going to go in and change the defaults yeah uh so however it comes set from the factory is is likely what you're going to get you can fine-tune a lot of that uh but but you need to kind of be a 
maybe not a super user, but very aware of, of your options to actually go in and, and mess with that and, and get it to the way you like it. And then of course, uh, what happens when somebody else pops into the driver's seat and you've tuned it one way and they're expecting it another way. Well, that's, um, yeah, that, that, that's something that, that there is the ability to set profiles. Uh, but I don't know how much of that stuff is tied to a driver profile. And, and then again, it's, it's, who's going to take the time to program all that in for multiple users. Right. It's not like, uh, so, and, and you think they're going to have a good interface for transporting your profile between cars. I don't think so. Yeah, well, so, so, <laughs> so for, 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 for your media interface, so you know your your podcast player and and your uh, your phone, G, you know preferred GPS app. That stuff is all pretty portable with with Android Auto or Apple CarPlay. Uh, but you know how I want my uh, my cruise control and my lane assist to work. That is not portable currently, um, at least not easily. And and I think it's going to be a long time before we see portability for those kind of features, which are much more tied in to the specific hardware of the vehicle uh, than your your media interface uh, experience. So this article says that they're going to detect your drowsiness. They're going to see if your eyes are blinking. They're going to look at your steering behavior. And then they're going to come on and talk to you. A voice, a disembodied voice is going to come on to talk to you. It'll recommend that you <laughs> now, play now, music if, with, or pull with over. all the, the things we say to Siri and Alexa, we can't complain about a disembodied voice. Yeah. That's that's become a given. Yeah, I'm not complaining about it. I'm just describing it. Um, Aaron, if the uh, car tells you to pull over because it thinks you're tired, what are you going to do? Uh, I will give it consideration, but the car is not the boss of me, mm. um, which is true until uh, the car is the boss of me. Um, and, and this is something that, force you to that in, a, in a different context, uh, uh, when they started putting OnStar in vehicles, you know, that means that somebody has the ability to remotely uh, control your vehicle. They, they, can, they can basically uh, force the vehicle to slow down and pull over to the side of the road whether you want to or not when you're behind the wheel. And they say that the, the, the main use for that is if your vehicle is stolen – uh, and involved in a you know a high speed police chase, they can you know they can power it down and safely pull it off to the side of the road. Uh, but I'm not super comfortable with the idea that someone outside my vehicle has that kind of control. Uh, and similarly, I wouldn't be super comfortable with someone inside the vehicle who's not me having that kind of control, whether it's uh, you know a creepy person sitting in the back seat or this dis- disembodied voice, the AI that's decided. Uh, that you're not listening to my advice to pull off because you're drowsy, so I'm going to do it for you and disable the vehicle. Um, it, it it gives me the creeps. Uh, and and there's also the question of uh, you know can can your car be forced to testify against you if I get into an accident and they pull the car log? That was and in a says, movie. Oh, Aaron was Aaron was distracted. Aaron was sleep deprived, and we warned him, but he didn't listen. Uh, so, so he's entirely liable and the insurance isn't going to cover anything. Or he got into the car and he was clearly showing signs of intoxication. Uh, we, can't, we can't prove it because we don't have a blood sample and we didn't do a road sobriety test. But the, uh, the video inside your own vehicle is going to rat you out for something like that. Uh, that, that I'm not comfortable with. So uh, there was a movie from 2011 called Horrible Bosses. I don't know if you remember that. I, it, I did not see that, but I remember seeing trailers. Right, it was with yeah. it was with Kevin Spacey when he was still popular, and uh, <laughs> Jennifer Aniston, who's always popular, and and some other uh, good comedians. And uh, I think at the end, their car saved them. 
because the the car provided the evidence that they were doing illegal stuff against their bosses, but apparently the car provided evidence uh, that uh, that they were innocent of whatever they were going to be or <laughs> you know whatever they were going to be accused of. Um, so hey, sometimes the uh, the movies that are prescient come from very strange places. Um, okay, so. Um, uh, so okay, so one of the uh, controversial things here uh, that the article mentions is that hey, your recorded conversations, your video, your image, your likeness—the uh, the same issues that we have around the uh, Amazon Alexa and the same issues—and yeah, and we even talked about this in the context of cars. I think uh, for uh, was it Uber or Lyft uh, that was talking about that that they're going to now be recording uh, passenger you know, interactions in the vehicle. So, right. Uh, so, so what, what can be done with that, that data? So they're going to have to send that remotely in order to train the algorithm. And they say at the end, something like, Oh no, no, no it's okay. We have this system called edge AI, which is a system, which means that it can like detect all the things about you. It can detect like your, your drowsiness and all that locally. So it doesn't have to send it to the cloud. It doesn't have to send that remotely, but my point is right. they also and, have and to train an algorithm and you can't train rem- uh, locally because, uh, you know, y- you have to aggregate data from everybody in order to do that into one centralized place. And in order to do that, uh, you know, you're going to have to send some data over the cloud and it's going to be, <laughs> they say it could be encrypted, but as we'll see in a little bit, uh, you know, that encryption will, may only go so far. Yeah, well, so so the the idea of edge AI this really comes out of an industrial context where in a lot of factories they've they've been doing for for a while now uh, where they don't want to have to send all their data up to the cloud not so much because they're concerned about security as much as it is uh, a speed issue that they want to be able to do this kind of, of analysis uh, and learning on the factory floor without having to send it to you know Amazon Web Services or whatever, uh, but they don't want to have to have it built into each individual robot on the factory floor. They, they want to have it uh, on, on the edge um, of, of their local cloud, so to speak. Um, and, and so that, that makes sense in that context. Um, with, with the question of training data, I think this is going to be a lot like uh, the, the ubiquitous uh, pop-up option you get when you install something where it says, you know, uh, do do you want to opt out of the Google or Microsoft or Amazon, you know, uh, customer uh, experience improvement plan, which basically means can we use all your data to continuously retrain our, our algorithms? Uh, and most people, uh, because the default option is, yes, use my data, are going to click OK uh, and, and continue to volunteer that information. They make you feel like such a freeloader if you click no. It's like when uh, you say no to cookies or you tell, uh, is, I think, you can you can elect to have you know Facebook not use identifying information for advertising, and so you just get you know random generic ads in that case. Um, and the the thought is, well, my my experience is less quality in ex- in exchange for not giving my you know let the, letting them use my info. Do do I want the lower quality experience here? Yeah, they're going to need data from a lot of different users and a lot of different faces in order to get this to work, as they say in the article. So yes, it, it can detect your, you know, your drowsiness or whatever it wants to detect. I don't know. Maybe it'll detect if someone's angry or something like that. Um, yes, it could, it could do that detection right there in the car. But in order to train the model and send the data of the model down, it's going to need a whole bunch of recordings and a whole bunch of, uh, you know, of, of video and audio. 
uh, yeah. and, and whatever other sensors they put in there. So, okay. Uh, interesting story. Uh, finally, well, not finally, but sort of to bring together, this is kind of the central theme of the show today, which is Congress and encryption. So Congress is, so the good news is that Congress is tied up in impeachment right now. So they might not be trampling on the people's rights as much. So I hope this impeachment trial just keeps going on and on. And we talk, oh, is yeah, so-and-so going to testify? I have at Metaculus recently, but I'm sure there's there's uh, some predictions on there for how long impeachment uh, hearings in the Senate are going to, to last. Just get everyone to testify, everyone in the country. Um, <laughs> so, all right. So there there is a bill that's going through Congress, and this was there was a bunch of articles about this uh, last month, last year in December. But the bill is still kind of making its way through. So there's there's been its kind of worry that it would it would go well, through. So my my understanding is that that the bill has not been you know brought to the floor. That it's no. it's still very much in draft form. But everybody's talking about no. It. But there's no real opposition to it yet. I mean, the Republicans support it. The Democrats support it. The executive branch. Support Supports it in, and I say executive branch because I don't know what Trump thinks, but I, I, the attorney I, I general. Think, I think we're right to be concerned about that. However, I will caveat it with 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 the consideration that until there actually is a bill, uh, it's real easy to say that there's bi- bipartisan support because the way it's been pitched is well, we're doing this uh, to stop child pornography or xyz and and nobody's going to come out and say well i don't know i i think we need to step back and and maybe lighten up a little bit on child pornography uh when when you present it that way everybody's in favor until we see an actual you know actual text of the bill it's going to be really hard to get people to to at least politicians to come out against it that being said i i think there are going to be people from both sides of the aisle from from both uh branches of government here, and I'm leaving the judiciary out of it because they'll deal with it down the road, uh, who who are going to support this no matter what the form of the text comes out. Yeah, and this is one that I think that the people in general, uh, if you polled them, would not support, unless it was like kind of a one of those push polls where it's like... Yeah, it, it depends how you word it. Yeah, exactly. And, and what the, they're going to give it it's a, a sneaky like hey a, if we don't a name if, that makes it seem very reasonable so let, let's um, say what the what, what it is so first of all it's essentially telling companies that they can't use real irreversible encryption um like you know true encryption means that hey if i don't have the key to decrypt if i don't have the information i need to decrypt this file it just looks like random noise but what they're saying is no uh, the government essentially needs a backdoor or, uh, you yeah, know, to... And, and, and what seems to have prompted this was uh, the talk uh, maybe middle of last year, early last year, that uh, Facebook was going to put full end-to-end uh, robust encryption into WhatsApp, um, which which previously there was there was some, but but not this, this level of end-to-end, which basically means that uh, Facebook... As a as a corporation, doesn't have the ability to reveal what what the communication within the app is. That previously there was there was a, a a link in the chain basically where where with the right tools they could unveil what was being exchanged uh, by putting in proper encryption. They no longer have the ability to do that, whether they want to or not. Right. It's not just don't be evil. It's can't be evil. Um, and so it's um, look with all of the breaches, it's hard to. 
it's hard to make the case, hey, you know, you should have nothing to hide, uh, you know, from all your communications on the Internet because, you know, we, we need this to catch criminals. But look, if there's a back door, then criminals can also get your data. If your car is sending videos and, and audio to you, somebody else, uh, uh, of you uh, and sending that, you know, for the reasonable purpose of training a model – then uh, then somebody maybe could intercept that and get that information. Or if you remember a few years ago, there was this iCloud leak, leak, and this is Apple. This is not some random company, but all these celebrity private photos were just leaked and went out to the whole world. And so um, that, could, uh, that could happen to anyone. And so it really, is, um, it really is a big deal. And I sort of contrast this with the gun control issue where people really care about, you know, hey, these are my rights and you're not taking it away. With the encryption issue, I, it, it seems like people who, uh, who think that way in the gun issue are just not – I mean, I actually think there are a lot of people who think that way in the gun issue who think similarly on the encryption issue. But in Washington, I'm not – I'm not assured that they are going to stand as firm. Yeah, I, I think part of it is is that most people in Washington don't understand how encryption works. Uh, they they also they they can't wrap their hands around why or heads around why we don't trust them with this this backdoor. Uh, but they do it's, understand. It's just bad ideas all around. They do understand why people might not trust the police or government agents, which is also them, but they don't, I mean, <laughs> they understand it because there's a huge constituency, you know, making sure that they understand it. You know, there's a, there's a gun lobby, but I, there really isn't an encryption lobby. I'm sort of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm positive. It's a positive note that some of these companies are actually uh, pushing back and trying to build these en- en- encryption systems, but I don't know how much of a, of a backbone they're really going to have in the long run. Yeah, it's 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 very very disconcerting that that I don't know know how how firm these companies are going to stand on this because uh what they're really threatening is to take away uh their immunity from per- prosecution for some of these things and when they open those floodgates uh it's going to become a dollars and cents issue more than a a principled stand and a lot of these companies uh would will not put principle over over cash flow in that case. Yeah, uh, especially when the government is is putting their thumb on the scale. Yeah, yeah, and they say, "Hey, we we need this to catch criminals. We need this to." It's it's the same arguments as for uh, gun control, but uh, it's um, it it doesn't seem, and even some of the same politics. I assume Lindsey Graham is is uh, is pro Second Amendment. Am I? I could be wrong about that. Uh, uh, I I believe so. Yeah. At least it, at least he gives lip service to it. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and you know the attorney general is in on this too, and it's just like, yeah, we're gonna catch you know one criminal because something really bad happened, and it's the it's it's yeah, the well, same I, argument. The the attorney general is certainly taking the the pro law enforcement stance here uh, more than a a principled policy stance uh, in any sense, and. and and I'm a firm believer that it is not my job nor the job of any of these tech companies to make the job of law enforcement easier. Yeah. Um, there, there are a lot of things that we could do that would make it easier to throw people in jail. And it, that, that's not a good argument for anything. Yeah, well, I, uh, I agree. Uh, Naomi Brockwell, who's been on this show, had a really good video out, uh, out on this uh, in December on, uh, on Twitter. So I will link to that. 
Uh, and um, yeah, what you also posted these bore patch uh, articles. So can you just say briefly what those are? Yeah, so so bore patch is somebody that I've been reading for probably over a decade now, uh, and and uh, among some of the topics he writes about uh, internet security or, or information security is a big one of them. Uh, I believe back in his youth, he worked for a three letter agency in the uh, the greater DC area. Uh, uh, and and one of the things that he's covered uh, numerous times is how uh, there is, uh, depending on how you read the information, uh, evidence might be too strong a term, but there is a very strong indication that the NSA actively worked uh, to get uh, vulnerable, uh, weakened encryption algorithms into uh, commonly used standards so that it would be easier for them to then go and crack communications. Uh, and so uh, the the end result is that there was some some bad encryption tools out there, uh, and there's now no reason that we should ever trust the government uh, when they tell us th- that we should do X Y Z on encryption because they've proven to not have uh, public interest in in mind when they're doing that. So yeah, so when you say that the that the politicians can't wrap their minds around what encryption is, what do you think their main misconception is? There's a, a saying when when analyzing a policy, uh, you know, a, a law that you're looking to pass is, uh, don't think about what your party would do with it, or or your you know your administration. Think about what the opposition would do when they get into into power and have the ability to use this tool, uh, or you know, think about what your worst enemy would do with this, not your your closest allies. Uh, and that's a good way to think of an encryption backdoor because whether it's what the other party would do or what the Russians would do or, you know, what uh, uh, criminal hackers would do with this information. Because once it's it's been constructed, once it's been built, once you put the weakness or the hole or the back door in there, you can't control who who's able to utilize it. Um, so there, there's some concerns about uh, potentially uh, issues with, with email encryption and email security. Uh, imagine, if you will, uh, a tool that allows them to go in and read anybody's email uh, through some sort of backdoor. Um, yeah, there, that might exist. That- According to Naomi Brockwell, uh, which and she's um, you know, she's uh, citing uh, Edward Snowden. Apparently, there are servers built by Amazon that have uh, people's emails and SMS communications, and it's actually able to be accessed by real people. Yeah, well, so so so, as a thought experiment, I'm I'm going a little bit off the beaten path here, uh, but but if 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 we imagine for a moment that uh, there is a backdoor that allows reading of all emails, uh, you've you've got access to that server, you've got access to the digital record. If you can read it, uh, what's to say you can't modify it? And if you think that uh, the release of DNC emails by a Russian or Ukrainian hacker in our last election was a big brouhaha. Imagine if they had the ability to not just release information, uh, but to go in and alter that information and for those alterations to be completely undetectable. And now they can't, they're not just releasing emails, they're writing emails from people. Yeah. Emails that we can't prove were never sent. It's, it's, it, you know, it's a whole nother form of deep fake uh, because we put a hole in there because somebody wanted to be able to access it. And it, it's, I'm I'm not a you know a big conspiracy theorist, but you you can't put the genie back in the bottle with this type of stuff. 
Um, and and we, we fought this battle back in the 90s. And when I say we, I mean the, the tech industry because we were both too young to really be uh, – aware of what was what was going on with this in the early 90s but encryption was classified as uh as a munition by the US government a, a ITAR controlled munition munition what does that mean so you could not you, like a, it was it was considered a weapon of a war weapon during of war. the cold war you could not export uh encryption algorithms outside the US without permission from the state department this shit needs to be uh, in the so constitution of the United States it, that it, people are it allowed literally to use boiled encryption boiled down to you know a couple of lines of code if you brought that from the U.S. to Canada without permission for the State Department, uh, that was a federal crime. Uh, and and there were people who who literally took uh, cer- certain uh, encryption algorithms, printed them out onto reams of paper, you know, put them in a suitcase, and flew out of the U.S. Uh, committing com- committing uh, uh, committing felonies uh, because they believed that ad- that information needed to be free. And and so the U.S. government functionally lost that battle. Uh, but they they took the stance for many years that this encryption is so dangerous that we can't let people outside of the government have control of it and access to it. It, it seems like it should almost be folded under free speech. But uh, that, that, that was that was definitely the argument they were making that that uh, and, and, and you see that in some other realms now that that code is speech. Yeah. Uh, and so you can't you can't restrict code. If they say money uh, is speech. And, then code is definitely speech. Yeah. Um, OK, so one actually. This reminds me of a story just from today at work that uh, is totally related to this. I had to set up a new collection um, on Amazon, uh, basically to upload uh, some some files. They're they're kind of files that should be publicly available. So for my particular use case, I wasn't too worried about um, about uh, about the the permissions and all this. But I went to the page where I had to set up permissions for Amazon's cloud service. And it was totally unintelligible. I had to get someone, I had to get an expert come down and tell me how to set it up. We had to look through all sorts of things. And it, and then, you know, somebody uh, uh, slacked. In, in terms of legalese or the technical aspects? The technical aspects of it. Like if they say like, hey, do you want to make this public? And you check it, it means something other than what you think it means. And, and, <laughs> and you know, who is the principal? And what's the, you know, it's like they have a whole different language that you have to learn in order to use their privacy. It's, it's like a thousand times more difficult than Facebook because imagine Facebook's privacy controls, but written for engineers who have been in this world for many, many years um, and, and just increase in complexity. And I've seen on Twitter, I looked on Twitter, I was like, this is crazy. And someone said on, on Twitter, uh, someone said, I'll have to look up the particular tweet. I'll post it. But they said, you know, with the privacy controls this complex, it's crazy that companies aren't leaking data left and right. And then everyone responded, oh, they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not as simple as, oh, uh, Amazon will keep it private and Amazon won't make a mistake. Sometimes the people setting up the privacy, uh, not everyone's going to be, not everyone at every company is going to be an expert at setting up the privacy controls in Amazon to begin with, even if Amazon doesn't make a mistake. Yeah, well, it, as as bad as it is in, in cases like that, at least people are thinking about it because um, I, I'm, I'm going to call back to to something that Borpatch has has uh, railed on for years uh in a, in the uh the internet of things in all your connected devices uh the issue hasn't so much been bad security it's been that they haven't even considered security mm. uh and and we're starting to see improvements there it has to uh, be but, easy for it to work but yeah it's it's 
the things as simple as uh, you know, there's there's no way to provide a patch or an update to this device. Uh, so that means that uh, when when that firmware was frozen, you know, maybe years before the actual device hit the market, uh, and there was uh, a vulnerability in it, well, you're stuck with that forever. Yeah, and and that. And and when that's you know a device that's connected to your home network that's connected to your electronic door locks and your you know high definition security cameras in your house, that's not okay. Yeah. So uh, in line with or your, the or in your car, align with the media and political assault on privacy and on encryption. Another day, another dumb article from the New York Times. Uh, this time it's. Uh, it's FUD, it's fear, uncertainty, tout on Bitcoin. Just an absolute um, crap shoot of an article, crap show of an article. Um, I do follow the author of the article on Twitter. I don't know why, but uh, maybe he wrote something good in the past. Uh, but Mr. Popper? Yeah. So uh, they say, uh, the thing is like, oh, you know, uh, Bitcoin use is declining and really the only use case that isn't declining is the black market. I mean, that's essentially the, the the headline. Let me actually get the full headline here so I can see. Yes, Bitcoin has lost steam, but criminals still love it. Uh, with the oh, subheadline. You know what this makes me think of? Well, uh, hold on, let me read I the subheadline. Was... The subheadline is the police <laughs> hope that taking down online black markets would chase away criminals, but the amount of Bitcoin spent in illegal purposes has reached a new high. Sorry, go ahead. So uh, a couple of years back, India... Uh, had some sort of initiative where they basically recalled all their high denomination bills and replaced them with new ones. Yeah, I think we mentioned because, it on the show. I think we covered b- because it. the concern was that only criminals are using these large bills, and and you hear that in the U.S. to some extent too. With like no nobody carries around for casual spending really things bigger than twenties. So maybe we should get rid of you know the hundred the five hundred thousand dollar bills because really all that serves is to help drug dealers uh, move large amounts of cash in duffel bags instead of a dump, tr- dump truck. They've never been to Peter and, and, Luger's steakhouse. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but, but yeah, the, this, this idea that, that, uh, that, that Bitcoin is, is really only serving the black market is have, have you seen cash? Cause yeah. Cause <laughs> so a, a lot of the claims in the article are contradicted by other facts given in the article and contradicted by the links they put in the article, which they say support one thing, and then you see a link, and well, you're like, oh, they have data. A, they don't expect you to read the article, and B, uh, much like uh, apparently uh, Paul Krugman is guilty of this, he doesn't expect you to follow the link and read the, the article that he's citing. But this is the New York Times, for Christ's sake. they got to do better than that. Well, I mean, isn't, isn't that where Krugman publishes it, it is it is but <laughs> so so clearly we've discovered uh, their underlying editorial but i've standard. never been i always have i i know it's as much as i rip on the new york times i still i don't know as much as they disappoint me again and again i still have like respect for the name the new york times you know what i mean like i'm not, it's uh, well, it doesn't that's go the dunning kruger effect yeah. in 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 full fledge what do you how so the that that uh, so I, I believe it's Dunning Kruger is is where uh, you read an article on something you're an expert in and they get everything not just wrong but like diametrically opposed to the truth and you say oh these these guys are fools complete idiots and then you turn from from the technology section to the politics section and you expect the the person writing in that section 
to be fully knowledgeable about everything they're writing about, as if you're reading a completely different publication. Yeah, it's no it, the 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 level. I of, thought Dunning Kruger was correctness is uniform. We just only are able to recognize it in areas where we have expertise. I thought Dunning Kruger was when you um, you know a little and you think you know a lot, and then you know a lot and you think you know a little. Or is that something else? Or is that no, Gelman? You know what? I'm 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 confusing Dunning Kruger and uh, the uh, was it the the is it Gelman? Something like that. Uh, amnesia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll, 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 I know we we mentioned them before. <laughs> I have to look it up to make sure I get it right. Yeah, yeah. No, but it's just I I feel like the New York Times the, as a name should carry weight. But anyway, I've been hearing this crap for seven years that Bitcoin. Uh, you know, is only for criminals. First of all, they're like, oh, the uh, the price has uh, continued to decline. Price and usage has continued to decline. And they always pick the most convenient spots to check. So th- in the just in the past year, the price has gone from 3000 all the way up to 14000 all the way down to 7000 And then they're like, oh, look, it went from 13000 to 7000 That's bad. But you know what? It was only up at 13000 for like a week. And then it's always been in like the... <laughs> for for a while, it was in the ten thousand range. It's already back up to like nine thousand. In fact, it just went on a tear uh, the day after this article came out. So they really have no, um, they just have no like sense of um, uh, sense of perspective on this thing. They also con- another example where they contradict the the, the headline is it also says, well, Bitcoin is not that great for organized crime because you know it can be tracked. So they're really talking about petty crime. Uh, they also said Venezuela has leveled off. Yeah, and then, then they look at the then they click to the the graph, and it's like, yeah, Venezuela has leveled off after shooting up tremendously, and then it's leveled off until and it ha- didn't go back to where it was before that, that before usage in Venezuela shot up. So that just saying uh, you know uses leveled off as Venezuela does not give the impression like the graph that I would have drawn from the article is not the graph that is posted. Um, so uh, these things, I mean, I know it's a, a flash in the pan. There's all these, all this crazy articles about Bitcoin out, but um, I just, I still expect more from the New York Times even after all these years. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I just, I don't know when I'll get over that. But um, maybe it's because I read the New York Times archive so much that I, I use it to get historical information that... Um, um, you know, I just I, I find that useful. Yeah, I I wonder how much uh, our our perspective on them as an authority in years past is rose colored glasses, or if if these issues uh, are have been ever present. Some of it is, but um, it's still helpful to go back if you want to find out what people are talking about in like the 1900s or the 1800s. Um, and I've definitely seen some dumb articles in the archive, but uh, <laughs> I guess, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe- well, it, to, to, to reiterate your, your point about kind of the, the sliding time window yeah. uh, and, and cherry picking your, your, uh, the, the, the time scale you're looking at, uh, you, I mean, you could do the same thing with the, with the markets uh, in general that I, I think uh, I, I saw a newsletter come out. Uh, right after the first of the year, talking about how you know uh, such and such a fund has had an amazing 2019, you know, with like better than 25% returns. Um, but then they tempered it with, "Don't take that too seriously, though, because 2019 was a really good year. Uh, but if you look at the average over 2019 and 2018, 
Uh, turns out we're actually just pretty much on par with you know whatever the Dow has been doing for the last fifty years because twenty eighteen was a really bad year. Yeah, uh, and and so it's it, it's just it happens that arbitrarily the uh, the calendar year for twenty nineteen fell in such a way that that we were able to chop off all those losses and only look at the gains. But you 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 can't. No, nothing happens in isolation. Yeah. Also, I think, and I'm not going to get into the um, into the details on this, but they say like usage of Bitcoin by individuals has gone down. And you could point to a few like you know particular uh, online shops that no longer accept that, but I don't think that's true. That individual usage is down. They don't really have very good data on that. It seems to be up. It seems. Yeah, to I'd, I'd be very curious how they're making how they're measuring that how they're making that determination. Yeah, and now with. Uh, with Jack Dorsey trying to introduce it into Square and um, whole whole like like governments being in, uh, being interested in it, uh, it's um, I don't know. I feel like that's just sloppy yeah, journalism. How how you measure the movement of of currency like that is a very interesting question. How, I mean, how you measure the movement of any any good like that is is an interesting question. Yeah, but particularly currency uh, that and 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 especially something that's somewhat anonymized uh, like like Bitcoin is. Um, I, I suppose you can get some numbers on on you know volume and volatility, but tying that to individuals, I, I expect, is uh, very tricky. Yeah, and they have they, uh, they must be using some sort of surrogate statistics. There. You could see the number of transactions, but you don't know what all of those transactions are. Uh, you know, most of them are people moving around their own money, so trying to get out the uh, the actual right. trans. And also, like a lot of transactions now are through the lightning network and other side chains where they're not even uh they're not even registered on the so blockchain. that's not being counted yeah uh, so it's so it's like tracking uh, podcast download numbers that that if you're not uh, you're not doing it all through the a single source then then you're you're losing data there <laughs> a little like that <laughs> a little like that um very tough when you're trying to sell advertising all right um any last thoughts today uh i have a few i don't know if you have a few well, hit, hit me with yours. No, I just feel that um, I, I'm really starting to understand the issue of encryption and data and the fact that, uh, you know, we're, I feel like we're kind of being manipulated by certain groups to kind of turn against this idea of encryption and privacy. And it's like, you know, hey, you should have nothing to hide and we really need it. And you see that in the... In the Bitcoin article, you see that in this bill that Congress is trying to put out, uh, you know, big data has a lot of positive things associated with it. Maybe it could prevent car accidents, even though, it, again, it's kind of creepy that it's like looking in at you. And um, if if we don't have proper encryption, then uh, people can just find you like they found it for the Nest data. Uh, you know, big data is being used to fight this SARS outbreak. So, again, technology is a double edged sword. And um and uh, but just give people the freedom to use it to broadcast what they want and to encrypt what they want, and the outcome would certainly be better than it otherwise would be if you remove encryption. Yeah, I I, I don't know what I can do as a private individual to to fight this uh, war on encryption uh, to to try and stop some of these. Uh, the these these bills from from getting through. You could be more careful uh, yourself uh, in your own but, use. But yeah, I, I I need to give some serious thought to what I can do in my in my personal life and my actions to uh, improve my my personal 
information security. And I'll be honest, I um, if someone did an audit of my security, I probably would not come out very uh, looking very good in that. Yeah, well, and, and I think one of the big issues with what's the WhatsApp moving to end-to-end uh, encryption is a concern for those in the law enforcement and intelligence community uh, is there's there's a very small portion of people now who use serious en- encryption, you know, end-to-end encryption for communications. And it's it's such a small group that basically when you do it, you're raising a red flag over yourself saying, look at me, I have something to hide. And then they can go and, you know, do metadata attacks and try and insert man-in-the-middle attacks uh, and and find ways to, to break that. But all of a sudden, if by default everybody is using end-to-end encryption, they have no way to tell the people who are hiding something from the people who... Uh, are just using proper encryption, and that scares law enforcement because the 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 best type of of security uh, is security and anonymity. Uh, and if everybody is using this level of encryption, all of a sudden uh, you you disappear into that crowd. So uh, it I, I think that's a big part of what's going on here that that they were they were able to work around it because so few people were were really cranking things up to eleven in terms of security uh, that it it. It put them under a microscope, and and they don't want that equation to flip, uh, in terms of kind of the Pareto rule. Where is that? That's the eighty twenty. Oh, rule. it's 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 yeah yeah the the, the simplified eighty twenty that yeah the that uh, the, there's a very small portion of people who are using encryption, but they're the ones that you've got to be watching. And if it flips to everybody's doing it, you can't possibly watch the that that portion of people. Yeah, well, I hope it gets to that. I you know I don't want. As the world becomes increasingly digital, I don't want everything you say to be, you know, intercepted and possibly used against you. I mean, think about how many personal conversations you had where you said something you wish you didn't say. Uh, you know, uh, fortunately, that's a personal conversation. You might have to apologize to one person. Uh, I, I wouldn't like that to be uh, that that to be the norm. That just everything is put out there. Human beings, uh, human interactions are not naturally meant to be that way. Um, in my view, yeah, the, the the Fourth Amendment has been trampled enough, uh, and 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 as difficult it is to claw rights back, uh, this is one area where we can try to do a little bit. All right, Aaron, thanks for joining me today. Uh, hope we have a few good uh, things uh, to get into in future episodes. So I, I hope you'll join me to that. I'm not going to like say what they are. But yeah, we, have... we really need an uplifting episode after all this doom. <laughs> so we'll we'll, we'll we'll go out seeking. Uh, positive news stories. Yes, yes. And um, man, I have, I I spoke to a mathematician this week in England. Um, Her name was Sophie Carr. She was actually in a competition and voted the most interesting mathematician in the world. Uh, So I interviewed her. She's a she's a Bayesian. Does that mean she's going to get a Dos Equis commercial? <laughs> uh, um, I, I don't know, but uh, she definitely got a spot on the local maximum because she is a uh, huge Bayesian and talks about Bayesian inference all the time. So I had a really great conversation with her. She um, she made a uh, analogy between Bayesian inference and a popular board game with children. I'm not going to say what it is, but you can, uh, you can, you can listen in. And so that's going to be next week. I'm very excited about that. Um, all right. So, well, I'll, I'll be listening with eager ears. All right. Wonderful. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. 
This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel, feel the power. 